We're going to be in Matthew chapter 1. We're going to talk a little bit about that today. A blessing to be here together. Um, to be able to celebrate Jesus' birthday. You know, even though this might not be the exact day he was born, this is a day we've designated. And we're celebrating that birthday, the birthday of Christ. And, and for me, it's a blessing even that you guys would come to church service. And from what I understand, the, the numbers are down. Maybe 40% of those who uh, are, are Americans will attend church today. So we see that. Uh, I, I'm, glad, I'm glad you're here um, because you know that Christmas is not just about the tree or the trimmings or the shops and the shopping or the baking and cooking and eating and giving. Uh, it's not even about, because some people will say, you'll interview people on you know, the streets, hey, Christmas is about family. It is in part, but not in parcel. What we see is that Christmas is not just about family, friends, and fun. If we're not careful, we have the potential to miss the main reason for the season, and that is the birth of Jesus Christ. You know, so it's a blessing to be able to gather together at church. You know, I, I was uh, thinking about, Lord, how do we really celebrate Christmas? You know, to really honestly, uh, I don't know if you guys, I struggle sometimes. I'm like, Lord, am I really doing this? Am I really celebrating your birth? And, and for me, and it might be different for you, but to be honest, like just to stop for me and to pray. Just pray like 10 minutes. Lord, thank you. Father, forgiving your son. Jesus, thank you for coming. Holy Spirit, thank you for revealing this to me. And just uh, a, a time in, in prayer. That I think, honestly, between you and God, that might be a good way to um, celebrate Christmas, to show your gratitude. Thank you by, by praying. You know, I, I know that uh, Jesus, remember when he healed the ten lepers, only one came back to thank him. And he was like, what's up, man? What about the other nine? I think that, unfortunately, we live in a world that may feel entitled, definitely ungrateful. And so today, can we do this as a church and mean it from the heart? Can we tell him thank you? Thank you, Lord. Let's do that together. One, two, three. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for coming to my world. This little speck in space called planet Earth, this little knucklehead right here, this fool of a guy, this man who was nothing but a loser apart from you, you came in and you saved me and you gave me purpose. Thank you, Lord. And so there's an aspect, I think, of praying. I think another way to celebrate Christmas, uh, again, I'm sure there's more to it, is maybe find somebody in need, somebody genuinely in need. Now, I understand we usually exchange gifts with those who are our friends. I, I completely understand that. Nothing wrong with that. We love people, right? We have friends and people that God, you know, has brought into our life and people, you know, we know who are going to give us a gift. You know, that, that type of thing, right? <laughs> and so, um, you know, that, that's fine. But maybe another way to add to that, to really celebrate Christmas, is find somebody who maybe not going to receive anything. You know, especially kids or children who are down and out, Somebody you know is hurting or struggling, go to them. Maybe give to them. Find somebody. I think that's another way we can celebrate Christmas. Another way I think we can really celebrate Christmas is purpose in your heart. I'm going to tell, I'm going to tell somebody about Jesus. I am not going to be silent. I won't commit the sin of silence. I'm going to tell somebody out there about Jesus. Hey, how you doing? Merry Christmas. Do you really know the reason for the season? He loves you. That night on Christmas night, love was born. God came to our earth to save us from our sins. So these are things that, you know, God will use. And I, 
And I think another aspect, I, I believe it's part of celebration, is this contemplation, this adoration, to gather together as a congregation and go to church, and here we are, we get to do a, a Bible study. You know, don't get me wrong, the other things we still do, I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but every year uh, we're still doing this, 30 million real Christmas trees are bought and sold every year in the United States of America. How many of you guys have a Christmas tree? I'm curious. If you would, raise your hand. If you have a Christmas tree, come on, you guys. Raise your hand if you have a Christmas tree. All right, raise your hand if you have a real Christmas tree. I'm just curious. All right, so, man, those numbers are going down. I don't know. Either you guys are lying or you're a Grinch. I don't know. But it's in, all right, 30 million trees, of course, we're buying gifts. Uh, they say uh, the numbers vary, but according to Forbes, retailers in America can expect to make $1 trillion um, from Christmas sales. And so most of these businesses, they make their profits this time of year. And so it's okay to buy a tree and, and decorate it and to buy those gifts uh, with your generous love. And most people will bake and cook and gain a few pounds. Any of you guys gained any weight? Uh, you're growing, huh? It's a really cool thing to see. Um, but I think it's all worth it. I know it's hard for some. My prayer is that today you would understand the hope and love of Christmas. But there is a reason this is called the most wonderful time of the year. And it's just because of the fact that love was born that Christmas night. Again, like I said earlier, he was born that we might be born again. He came to earth so that we can go uh, to heaven. And so I pray that we would have this understanding. You know, even though we know every uh, day thousands of babies are born, today, nowadays, 375,000 babies are born every single day. What was so special about this one child that was born close to 2,000 years ago that still rocks the world, that still influences heart, that still, you know, does these works, he spoke the greatest words ever spoken, did the greatest works ever done, had the most supernatural entrance as well as victory over death and exit. There's no one like Jesus. What was it about this child? And we see it here in Matthew. If you have your Bible open there, Matthew chapter 1. Notice it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, behold, they came together, and she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. And so this is how it happened, he says there in verse 18. This is the, the birth of Jesus Christ. I, I, I think it would be a fascinating conversation. Have you guys ever had that conversation with your parents? I'm just, just as a real quick, real quick side note, hey, mom, what was it like you know, when, when I was born? What was going on in your world uh, when I was born? Um, and she might say it hurt or something like that, you know. But, you know, no, beyond that, Mom, uh, can you tell me a little bit about that? This is kind of what Joseph does. Luke gives us Mary's perspective. Uh, Matthew gives us sometimes the forgotten perspective of Joseph, which was just as profound. Um, but here we see um, that um, it, it's, this is the way it went down. Uh, it says that Mary was betrothed to Joseph. Now, as far as I know, we don't use this word nowadays in our culture today. But betrothal, or to be betrothed, was a legally binding engagement. And so this young couple had been promised to each other, no doubt in an arrangement made by their parents when they were young. But now they're older. They actually had to go through a ceremony to be betrothed. 
Um, it's legal, and we're going to see as we continue through our text today that they're actually called husband and wife. But even though they bear those titles, the most important part of what he says right here is that they were not yet married. They were just betrothed. They're, they're not living together. Therefore, they have not consummated the marriage. We read that even specifically in verse 18. It says that it was after they were betrothed, but before they came together. And so for us, again, one of the most amazing things, I think even Larry King said, that's the biggest question. Was he born of a virgin? And of course we know he was. And so they had not been sexually intimate. That's settled. Uh, according to Luke chapter 1, verse 34, Mary was a virgin. Okay, so it's important for us to establish that. Um, but into that beautiful background, I mean, just think, betrothed, Mary, Joseph, we already know because most of us here have kind of studied this over the years, that these were two amazing human beings, Mary and Joseph, uh, young and yet uh, inspirational examples to us, right? We know that going into it. So imagine how excited Joseph was about the future to be able to marry this godly young woman to start their life. Imagine all that was ahead. But then, boom, in this beautiful background, this bomb is dropped. Then Mary is pregnant with someone else's child. And then to make matters uh, complicated even more, Mary tells Joseph that God is the father. And so I don't think any of you guys here would believe your girl if she gave you that line, right? Um, even me, I think I'm a little bit more gullible. If my fiancé told me I'm pregnant, you know, it's God, you know, and I don't, wouldn't believe her, right? Joseph didn't. He came to the only logical conclusion. You know, my ruka went out on me, right? My... <laughs> My, my, my Mary, man, right before we're going to get married, my lady, my love, we're, we're just about to spend the rest of our lives together. And imagine just the devastation he felt in that and then what that would lead up to. So not only is he hurt and devastated, but he's deeply concerned because adultery in the Jewish civil law was one act that carried with it the death penalty. And so we read in verse 19, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. I don't know if there's going to be videotapes in heaven or, or DVDs or MP4s or whatever, but wouldn't it be kind of cool to be able to go back and peek into history and like, what was it like, mom and dad, when you guys got together? What was going on? You know, when I was born, you know, what was your life like? And this is kind of what we see when Jesus was born, what, what they were going through, what Joseph was going through. And, you know, the angel had come to Mary and told her about the announcement. Jesus was conceived in her womb. Now the angel comes to Joseph and tells him the news. And so... You know, Joseph, it says, what was a, a just man. Here in verse 19, he's identified as her husband. He's also identified as a just man. And other translations say he was a good man, a righteous man, a noble man, an upright man, right? I mean, he's a, a just man, and I'll be honest, he's not just like any other man. Because what would you do if your girl went out on you like that? You know, I think that, that for some of us here, you know, we would be very upset, maybe even have a little venom inside of us. We want some vengeance. How could you do this to me? 
But he didn't want to shame Mary or endanger her. He didn't want her to become a public example. He didn't want the word to get out. People start posting on social media or something, you know, the local news. Hey, did you hear the word, you know? He did not, he didn't want, want any of that. He did not want to expose her, to diss her. He just had it in his heart. You know what? I'm going to divorce her quietly. And so if you're taking notes, the, the first point is Joseph's great dilemma. His great dilemma in this situation, what do I do? Which leads now to Joseph's gracious decision. You know, the days were different back then. Sex and, of course, pregnancy outside of marriage violated the Jewish civil law and it was punishable by death. We read that in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10. It says, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. Deuteronomy 22, 13 through 24, just in case you want to search it on your own. It spells out the sentence on sexual immorality. And there you'll see, according to the letter of the law, that this was a capital offense punishable by death. Now, you guys watch 2020, probably. I don't know if you do. You know those programs on TV, man? How many times do you see, you know, the guy, the man, you know, murdering the, the wife or, or vice versa or the ones that went out on them, things like that, right? I mean, that's in the human heart, right? And so Joseph had this option. If he wanted to, he could file his case and lay down the law. And in all reality, he had every right to do so. Here he is thoroughly convinced that Mary has committed adultery. And, you know, the worst part about it, you know, because you guys who are Christians, and especially those of you who are counselors, right? You know, when you're talking to someone and they've sinned and they messed up, and they don't confess it, then you're like, well, that means that they're not repentant. They're not really repentant of their sin because here they are continuing to lie, continuing to whatever, blame. And, and so that's where Joseph was. Mary wasn't backing down. She wasn't, as far as he's concerned, lying and unrepentant. She had committed this crime and was unwilling to confess, just blaming it on God. And so, you know, he could have uh, thrown the book at her. But this just man, Joseph, has, you know, like a snake, he has no venom. He has no vengeance inside of him. He has no bitterness, no unforgiveness. He doesn't have that kind of poison that most people carry nowadays. You know, what we find here is that Joseph is a just man, and he decides to tiptoe to the doorsteps of divorce not publicly, but privately and as secretly as possible. He, he didn't want to make her a public example so that some way, somehow, Mary could still have her life and be spared the sentence and shame that would accompany such activity. And in the process, you know, not only do we read about him being a just man, we see it now with our own eyes, how he really is, you know, that kind of man. He could have put her on blast, but he decided not to because he was righteous and virtuous. In one sense, he was like Jesus. You know, the Bible says that about Jesus in Matthew 27, 19. It says, while he, Pilate, was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him saying, have nothing to do with that just man. And that just man was none other than Jesus Christ. You know, and so even though Joseph thoroughly is convinced that he's been wronged, he doesn't want anything to happen, anything bad to happen to the one who he believes had done him wrong. I don't want her to die. I don't hate her. I love her. I love her. 
And just as a quick side note, I know for sure that God here, the, the focus is Christ. The focus is Jesus. The focus is that baby who was born and put in the cradle and one day would be on a cross and one day will wear, wear the crown. I, I know that's the focus. and We can't miss that. But you can't also, you God, I know in his word, he's giving us messages about Mary and messages about Joseph. Because maybe you're here today or maybe you know someone who struggles with forgiving other people. You know, you struggle with that kind of uh, heart of bitterness and poison and unforgiveness. And I'm not saying that, you know, that you got to necessarily, you know, restore them to that original place where, you know, they were back in the day. But for us, you guys, if we don't show forgiveness, this is like Christianity 101. And I'll tell you what, seeing the story of Joseph on Christmas time, uh, it's time. It's time to make things right. Here, Joseph here shows there is no, there is none of that in my heart. Romans twelve seventeen says, never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Romans twelve twenty one says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so there's this lesson. Are there any teenagers here? I'm just curious. If you're a teenager, raise your hand. Hi, um, you guys don't want to do that, huh? Um, you guys, I don't. I hope you know. With Mary and Joseph, there's also a message there. You oftentimes are inspirations to us older people. I want you to know that. Here's Joseph. Here's Mary. Teenagers, for sure. Mary was probably Joseph as well, and they are examples to us. And so, you know, here's Joseph uh, thinking about these things. Uh, he's exhausted, no doubt, and he eventually falls asleep. And so watch what happens in verse 20. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And so, uh, again, if you're taking notes, we've started off with Joseph's great dilemma. And then that was then transitioning into Joseph's gracious decision. And now we have Joseph's glorious dream. You know, some will tell you that this is, angel is, is Gabriel, but the Bible doesn't explicitly say that. If I had to guess, I'd say it was. All we know is it is an angel that appears to him, not like Mary. So when Mary had the angel, it was there in the flesh. Um, for Joseph, it was a dream wherein this angel appears. But the angel gives him those words. Don't be afraid to say, I do. Don't be afraid, Joseph, what she says is true. Mary, Mary, for the child within her womb is supernaturally conceived by the Holy Spirit. And, and you know, when I, when I was thinking about the study for today, you know, uh, A Christmas Dream, I think that's kind of the, the title of it. it uh, part of it is rooted in this, you know, that, you know, if it weren't for that dream, if it weren't for that glorious dream, that angelic dream, then, you know, Joseph wouldn't have had the guidance that he needed to do the things that he did and to be part of us getting saved, right? But um, I was also thinking about dreams in general, did you guys know that we all dream every single night? 
Um, some of you guys remember them. I know sometimes when I wake up in the morning and I, after I've had a dream and I remember it, I write it down right away because there's something about dreams. They go into a certain part of your brain where it's not intended uh, for the most part to be remembered. How many of you guys do that? You have a dream and you wake up in the morning and you write it down. Okay, so I'm the only one, but I, you guys still, there's a couple of you. You know, but um, some of you guys, do you remember your dreams? Does anybody here remember your dreams? Some of you do. Most of us forget our dreams. Uh, they actually say that we have um, about two hours of dream every single night. Uh, most of it occurs during the REM uh, type of, uh, time of sleeping and maybe uh, five to seven dreams. And so it's an interesting thing. Um, I was thinking about this, though, uh, Joseph's dream. Uh, but what about, if I could just say it this way, if you can give me a little bit of, uh, of, of freedom and grace, um, what about God's dream? What's God's dream? Now now I'm using the word in a different sense. Like, uh, like if God could have like the dream, you know, what, what is it that God wants? And the answer is you. You're his dream. He won't force you. So some will say, well, Manny, what do you mean God's dream? God's sovereign, God's in control, God's on the throne. Yeah, but he won't force us into a relationship with him. You know, he loves you. You're his dream. You're the apple of his eye. You know, the Bible talks about that. If you were to look into God's eye, you would see the reflection of yourself because that's you're the apple of his eye. Before he flung a star into the sky, he thought of you. He died for you. He sent his son to shed his blood and be punished for you. And all of this is so that when we die, we can go to heaven. And even while we live on earth, we can experience him. And this relationship with him, this is not a religion. This is a relationship with God. And you can have that. You know, it's his dream. This is why Joseph had his dream. You know, I, I was thinking about this and about heaven. And lately, of course, it's been hitting me a little bit harder. You know, the passing of my mom. So it's been about eight days now since my mom's been with the Lord. And I'll just tell you guys this. I didn't tell first service this, but you guys are more special. <laughs> Second service. You know, actually I did, but I didn't tell him it was specifically about my mom. But you know what? I'm kind of weird in one sense. When I pray, I have these slots of praying. You know, I pray for, I have just different individuals that I pray for ever since I got saved. So for 34 years now, I have been praying for my mom every single day ever since I've been a Christian for the last 34 years. And I don't know. I mean, I mean, Maybe I've missed a day or two here, but I don't, I don't see how anyone could go out into the day not praying. And I don't see how anyone could go out into the day not praying for the family. I mean, every single day, pray for my mom, right? And then that, as I'm going through it the other day after the Lord had called her home, I came to that slot where I'm supposed to pray for my mom, and I found that I can't. I, I can't pray for her anymore because she can't be in a better place she can't be in a better condition you know she is with god 
And it was weird. I felt like I hit like a, like a, a wall. Like you, you can't pray for her. Some people believe, oh yeah, you pray for your loved ones and they're in purgatory and you're going to get them out of purgatory. No, the blood of Jesus Christ, the Bible says, absent from the body, present with the Lord. And so just think about that, you guys, how it can't get any better for her. I don't know exactly the, the body that she has. You know, when she was younger, she was uh, very, very, well, she's always been very attractive. But, you know, you just, you just wonder about things like that. You know, uh, again, you know, just, this is what the dream is. This is what Christmas is all about. You know, I got a text message from my, my brother uh, today, and, you know, his daughter went home to be with the Lord. Uh, she suffered um, and died from leukemia, but she also was in the presence of God. And it was an encouraging word from him because when you're there, you know, and you've experienced these things and your loved one's passed away, you have different options. If you, if you want to, you can really get down and discouraged and depressed and defeated, and you can go through the holidays, and it can really... Really, because you miss him so much, and I understand that. God understands that. But there's also that part of you that remembers, no, this is what it's all about. This is why Jesus came, so that we can be forgiven. And we know that we know that we know that our loved one is in heaven, that one day we will be there as well. And so here's Joseph. He has this dream because this is all part of God's plan. The angel says, Joseph, don't be afraid to say I do. Don't be afraid. And, and then it moves into one of my most favorite passages in the whole Bible. Look at Matthew 1, verse 21. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So, so nowadays, most of the time, I won't say always, but most of the time, most uh, people in America, they name their children uh, with names that kind of sound good. You know, it just kind of, I like, I like the way that sounds, you know. Um, I think the number one name for boys nowadays, believe it or not, is Liam. Liam. And so I don't know. It's a cool name. I don't know what it means. Back in the Bible days, there was a, a lot of thought into the meaning of the name, the meaning of the name. And so the angel says, you're going to call his name. You're going to, before ultrasounds were even invented, the angel says, you're going to have a boy and you're going to call his name Jesus. Well, why Jesus? Because Jesus means Yahweh is salvation. Jehovah is salvation. Jesus means that he will save his people from their sins. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, for me, I'm like, man, Lord, do people really know that's what Christmas is all about? You know, that, like I gave away that gift earlier today, free, no, no strings attached. It's nothing but intended good for you. That's how God is with us. Have you received that gift of salvation in which God will give to you his righteousness? Or will you stand before God on your own righteousness? Because understand, we are not righteous enough. The Bible says in Isaiah 64, 6, that our righteousness, the best that we can do in one sense is filthy rags. You know, I know for me, I was a pastor. I've sinned, and I just thank God for his forgiveness. I thank God for his blood. How many of you guys, I'm just curious, uh, sinned today? Uh, I'm just curious, man. 
I think what most of us have, you know. And I thank God that it's not based on our behavior. I thank God that it's based on the gift of His Son. You know, the Bible says in John 3.17, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. The Bible says we've all sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. 1 Kings 8.46 says, For there is no one who does not sin, and sin separates us from God. The Bible says in Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 4, that the soul who sins will die. But when you place in your faith in Jesus Christ, as we read right here, Matthew 1.21, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's what Christmas is. That's why Jesus came. You know, we've all sinned, and God has provided the forgiveness for our sins. I tell you guys this all the time, but let me just repeat it to you one more time. We are saved, number one, from the power of sin, number two, from the penalty of sin, and then number three, from the presence of sin. And so sin no longer has dominion over us because when we give our life to Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us. We will not suffer the penalty of sin, and one day we'll be home in heaven where there is no more sin. I can't wait for that day in heaven. Do you guys ever look forward to that? Do you think about heaven? We're going to be taller, buffer. <laughs> My knee will start working again. I'll be able to smell again. I'll tell you what, as life gets as we get older, as we get older, don't you guys feel it this way, that heaven becomes uh, um, more real when you get older and more desirable? Because that's our home. And so all this happens And then Matthew tells us that this is all biblical, what's taking place. And he brings up another significant name. Look what it says in verse 22. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And this is one of the prophecies, this one right here, taken from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary to his wife. It did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. So Matthew, writing this gospel, he just says, hey, I want you to know this is fulfilled scripture written 700 years before Christ that the virgin would be with child. They're going to name him Emmanuel. And to me, it's awesome because in one sense, again, names are significant. There's a revelation of who he is. He's Emmanuel, and that is translated God with us. And so for me, that's important to share with you guys because even as Christians, uh, it's not that life is going to be easy now. It's not like you're not going to go through stuff. We will. But we won't go through it alone. And that's the thing. You're never, as a Christian, you're never, you will never, ever, ever, ever be alone. The Bible says that in Hebrews 13.5, be content with such things as you have, For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And that's what happened on Christmas night. You know, God came to us to save us from our sins. Thank you, Jesus. And God came to us to always be with us. You know, there may be times where it seems like God is silent. You're like, man, I can't hear him. 
But understand, he's never, never absent. And that's so beautiful to know. And so what did Joseph do after this whole thing? Joseph, he wakes up, verse 24, and he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took Mary to his wife, and they did not have relations until um, her firstborn son, Jesus, was born. And so, again, if you're taking notes, number one, Joseph's great dilemma. Number two, Joseph's gracious decision. Number three, Joseph's glorious dream. And then number four, Joseph's gallant doing. He did what the angel told him to do, even though it may not have been an easy decision, even though he'd probably have to live with the stigma of, you know, yeah, we all know this wasn't Joseph's kid, but he took her to himself and he raised Jesus, we know, as a carpenter, and God chose him for a season in Jesus' life. And I look at this guy, Joseph, and I'm like, wow, Lord, there's definitely a lesson here for me because sometimes we don't follow through on the things that God shows us to do. But here, Joseph does just that. And so, um, in closing, you know, we have this dream of God. I was thinking about the different dreams. Um, I don't know, Martin Luther King Jr. had a dream, right? Uh, a beautiful dream that we can all live together. It doesn't matter what color your skin is, looking at the content of your character, or maybe someone like a John Bunyan. I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but over 250 million copies of his book, Pilgrim's Progress, have been sold. Um, this guy right here had a series of dreams while he was in prison. And if you haven't read Pilgrim's Progress, I encourage you to check that out. So Martin Luther King Jr.'s dream or John Bunyan's dream. I was thinking about um, Dorothy from Wizard of Oz. I, I don't know if hers was a dream or not, but um, there's still a, um, a debate on that. But just dreams in general, Joseph's dream and then God's dream. Have you chosen to be with him? Salvation is a gift. He loves you. This is why, to me, this is the most glorious time of year, the most glorious event in the history of the world in which God would come. And you guys know the size of our galaxy in which God himself, the creator of the universe, would enter into our world in this little speck of space called planet Earth and care about someone like me. But that's exactly what Christmas is. And so yesterday I was reading um, in Proverbs, my proverb for yesterday, and I'll just give you guys this in closing. There's one proverb where uh, basically uh, God says, uh, my child, give me your heart. Give me your heart. And so I don't know what you want for Christmas. Um, how many of you guys would like like a Tesla or something? I'm not sure. <laughs> no. <laughs> Maybe there's some new shoes that you're thinking about or some perfume. Uh, you know, guys always like gadgets, you know, stuff like that. Forgive me, Lord, you know. But what, what do you want for Christmas? And you guys know how that rolls. You guys know how that is, right? I'll leave you with this, that for Christmas, God wants you. You. You know, a lot of times we say, okay, God, you know, you can kind of have uh, the back row over here, a little nook and corner of my life, whereas God wants this relationship in which he, he really is the love of your life because that's how much he loves you. And so I pray you guys would know, I'm not talking about religion. I'm not preaching about a church. You don't have to come to this church. 
You don't. We love you guys. We just want you to go to heaven. And we know the gospel. And we know that the Bible says as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. And so I pray that today you would receive him.